Welcome to episode 57 on anger management and relationships. My guest today is Matthew Plotner, and he has a unique perspective on anger management. I'm so glad he was able to join us. In 2009, he was arrested after he and his wife got into a loud argument, and he spent 24 hours in jail. They required a 12-week class, and he stayed almost three years, which included volunteering, ending up teaching the class when the instructor was away. He has two podcasts going, That Anger Management Crap and Is It Philosophy, and he is now an anger management coach. So I love your podcast. I really enjoyed listening. And I think that it seems like you've learned a lot about the values of anger management in your own personal life. Could you share some about that for my audience? Uh, the, the value is is immense. First of all, it, it completely changed my relationship with my wife. I went from being the the jerk control freak that had to monitor every move she made to to the point that I used to track how much gas was in the car when I go to work. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that was me. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but it, it was me. I would have dumped your butt. <laughs> I can't believe she didn't. To be honest, I really, I don't know why she didn't. I don't know why she put up with it. I'm glad she did. We've got an amazing relationship now, and I wholeheartedly credit all of that to to what I've learned and what I've found through anger management and. And all the different steps I've taken in my life to get to the point that I'm at now. That's great. It really is. What are three key ways to look at anger management that you feel would help the people in my audience? The first one is always don't be afraid of anger. Don't try to suppress it. Don't deny it. Allow it to be. It has a purpose. It has a reason for being there. Allow it to do its job. The the second one I always think is we, we spend so much time trying to deny it that, that we forget that other things are underlying that emotion. There are other things that are causing the anger. Anger is never a primary emotion. There's always something behind it, whether that's fear, shame, guilt, whatever. It's, there's always something behind it. So, so take a moment and figure out what that is. And, and for me, the third has always been to, to acknowledge that there is a need feeding that fear, shame, guilt, whatever. And, and to find what that need is, and that takes a lot, or at least for me anyway, it takes a lot of work to, to get to that level of the need. Yes, I, yeah, I think that's right. I really do. I, and I think you said need. My, I would just add the word want, wants and needs. And because I, for me, they're two different things. Um, there was a bar called on one of my science fiction shows called the Need Wants Cafe. And it was a brothel and a bar and there was dancing and all kinds of things. But I thought that was a wonderful name. <laughs> so I, I think you're right. I think it's needs and wants and hurts and be, and all the other complicated things you just shared. And I think it's really important to, if you can, think about it, slow it down. Do you have any suggestions for slowing it down? Because uh, someone in my office today, who I told about your podcast, uh, was saying, I just, it feels so out of control. How do I interrupt it? How do I slow it down? 
I, I used to love hearing that in my classes. Most guys would come in and would talk about that moment that they snapped and were out of control and they saw red or, or whatever way they described this, this out of control feeling. And I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that there is no such thing as, as out of control or, or seeing red or losing it or whatever you want to call it. it. It doesn't exist. We all do those things that we want to do, whether we subconsciously or consciously talk ourselves through it. We all do those things. I think the most important thing is to acknowledge that that idea, that thought is there. I, I remember one time my wife was doing something with a friend. I was working third shift. And the whole way home, I'm, I'm telling myself, if she's not there, this is what I'm going to do. If she's doing this, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it, I did exactly what I consciously said I was going to do. I don't remember what it was now, but it, it was not a, a pretty thing. But now I'm able to, to consciously go, no, that's not a healthy idea. That's not a healthy belief. That's not a, a healthy way of approaching the situation. I think now I can stop. And, and I will listen to a Brene Brown talk couple of days ago. And, and I love what she said. I think we have to acknowledge the story we're telling ourselves about what's going on. I think I totally agree with you. I, I think we, I think that's one of the problems with the whole culture right now is we're so committed to the story we tell ourselves and, and without incorporating a different point of view or a different a uh, set of circumstances, and and we really get very caught up and in love with that story. Oh yeah, completely. I I used to think my story was the only story, and anybody else's story was was just wrong. And and now my wife and I have been starting since we watched that episode or that that talk. We've been doing that to each other when we get angry or something's going on. We say to each other, you know, this is the story I'm telling myself about the situation, and it's created this immense intimacy between us because now I'm able to see, okay, well, when this, when this happens, this is what's going on in her head. These are the thoughts she's having. And now I can connect her behavior to what's going on inside her head. And she's able to do the same. Yes. Yes. That, that is a wonderful technique. I, I, I think that that's a great way to begin. So what helps someone whose favorite emotion is anger what helps them change or decide it's important to get a grip? I, I hate the word change first. I, I really do. I don't know why. That's just one of those things. I don't think anybody ever changes. I think what we do is we, we become more in touch with who we truly are. I think nobody is truly an angry, violent, controlling person. So I, I think that's the, the first place. But to, to find that, that place that, that is you, I think you first have to acknowledge that you're not that angry person. You are a loving, compassionate, empathetic, caring person who has just lost touch with that. And that's okay. We have to be able to get back to that by acknowledging emotions and acknowledging the, the needs. I know as men, we are very, very terrified. I don't know why, but we're terrified of emotions. They are this taboo thing that we've been taught that if you're an emotional person, you're either gay or you're a woman or you're both, God forbid. And we just, we have disconnected ourselves from any emotion besides happy, hungry, horny, angry. And we need to get back to that vocabulary of the, the wide breadth of emotions. Yeah, that's true. And one of the things that you and I had talked about was in a previous recording attempt 
was a feeling vocabulary word list, which I think I, I suggest to people print it out. It's on the emotions page of my website, therapyideas.net, and print out the two pages and even just zoom through when you get home, pick five or six that fit, then make sentences with those emotions to practice with your partner, the sharing. And, and you had mentioned that you encourage that as well. Oh yeah. I used to have, when I taught classes, I still have a bunch of them. I had five by seven cards. I printed up. There was two of them. One of them was the list of painful emotions. One was a list of pleasurable emotions. And then on another card, I had a list of needs and I encouraged guys and, and everything I taught my class, I did myself. So, but I encourage guys to sit down when they're feeling angry or, or whatever they're feeling, sit down with their partner or whoever, and go through that list and physically circle the, the feelings and the needs that are going through your head. Because if you don't actually see it, something about that physically circling it and acknowledging it helps kind of you, helps you work through it. And then is allowed, it allows the other person to see, oh, okay, here's what's going on. And you guys can connect and, and create that, that level of intimacy and trust and connection that I think everybody is seeking in their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, and, and we had mentioned pride, I think a lot about how sometimes for some people, anger is protecting pride, that there's a feeling of being squashed or stepped on, and that that sense of pride is like it erupts into anger. Would you agree that that's a factor? I think pride and ego are definitely a factor in, in anger. I think without those two things, I think anger doesn't exist. I think they are the byproduct of trying to protect your pride and trying to make sure that your ego is intact. And I think most people either would agree or would reluctantly agree that men are very fragile in our ego. And I think that's why we gravitate towards anger as badly and as quickly as we do, because our ego, our ego is so easily bruised that we feel this, this incredible need to protect it at all costs. And I think sometimes women can underestimate that bruising or woundedness. And, and I, I, that's something I've experienced in my counseling office. Oh yeah. I think that's, that's definitely the case. I think because women and all the guys out there don't hate me when I say this, but I, I think that's because women are much, much stronger than, than men. I think in many ways they're stronger than men, not just, I think they're physically stronger, emotionally stronger. I think they have this, this ability to, I think it's because of the way they're raised. I think because women are raised to acknowledge emotions and to be connected with them, it, it inherently makes them a stronger person and a more whole person. And I think that women don't see that as, as being a strength. Whereas as men, when we see that, I think it challenges, I think it challenges our ability to be that connected, that whole, that, that be able, that deep person that I think we all want to be, that we're just mm -hmm. never trained to be. And, and because of that, I think it causes us to lash out more than probably is healthy. Yeah, I would agree. I, when I think about anger, uh, one of the things I talk about is trying to exchange anger for the value of being more trustworthy. How would you improve on that? Or what, what do you have to say about that? 
I think uh, trust is a very interesting thing. I think being able to be trustworthy with somebody's emotions and their their concern and their their compassion is is a very it's a very fragile place to be when you lose that. I know it took me. See, I was arrested in 09. I went through classes in in 2010. We're in 2009 now. My wife is just now getting to a point where she is able to trust that when something happens, I'm not going to blow up and turn into that angry, violent control freak that I used to be. I'm now able to look at it and see it, the situation for what it is. If she's going out with, with a friend for a night uh, out for dinner or whatever, I used to be that guy. Sure, go. And then 30 minutes after she leaves the house, I'm texting her and, and giving her a guilt trip and being the, the asshole. And it took years till recently, recently, like past few times she's gone out recently. She's acknowledged and she's seen that that is not me anymore and that she can now relax and trust that she can go out, have fun, do what she wants and come back. And I won't be passive aggressive and, and angry and bitter and resentful towards her. I'll be happy that she got to go out and enjoy her time with her friends. So once that trust is lost, it takes tremendous work to get it back. Yes, I, I think trust is a fragile commodity. I, I totally agree. And and it and I think people underestimate I, I really like your sharing the years because that people underestimate how long it can take. And it's almost as if they want this immediate repair and healing and let's move on. And, you know, it, it really does take, and it can take years for sure. Oh yeah. I, I think that's one thing that I took. It was the hardest to convince guys in my class because they'd be there three, four, five, six weeks. And they'd be go, well, look, I'm working on myself. I've been doing all the things you say. I've been going, acknowledging my emotions and connecting with her and being empathetic. And, and she's still being a bitch to me. I'm like, well, yeah, because she's still living on the person you were before this. You can't expect her overnight to go, oh, look, he's a great guy now. Now I can be open and honest and connect with him in a way that I couldn't before. That That's not going to happen. It takes years of rebuilding that. And I think everybody wants, I think we live in a society of instant gratification now. Yes. So yes. So the appreciation of that journey to healing is, is really uh, very impatient for most people. Oh, definitely. What would you say your wife's feelings about what was her contribution, if any? Because I thought the episode with the interview with her was one of the most interesting. And what do you think she would have to say about anger management to part the partner who's not angry? I think we have to to realize, and I think she said it in that episode, that you, you can't make that person change. There's nothing you can do, say, no way you can act that will make that person change. So if you're living in that relationship and you're living every day going, but if I just do this, they'll finally change and he'll finally be different and he'll finally be the guy I want him to be. Don't. It will never happen. It is not until he has to be uncomfortable with his choices and his decisions that he's made, that that change will happen. And sadly for a lot of guys that never happens. I think, and I think that is because women live in that world of, if I just do this, or if I'm just make the dinner right, or if I just please him right or whatever, if I just do this right, he'll see how valuable I am and he'll change. 
And so you just live in this bubble that is just, this is never changing. He has to get uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I, I believe nobody can change without being uncomfortable. It, it requires, uh, and I think that's why when people walk into the office that first time and it is uncomfortable, but it is the beginning of deciding to do something different. And I, I think that's so important. So uh, I have just read this article in the USA today about the NFL and the fact that domestic violence pretty much goes unpunished. And uh, there's really a culture of indulgence around football players and anger um, and violence. And I was wondering your thoughts about that. I, I think we've raised a generation of men that believe that that violence is manliness that violence is is how you show that you're tough and that you're a man, and and that if you're not violent in some way, shape, or form, you're you're not a true man, right? You're not living up to your full potential of the the man, and I think that goes hand in hand with what what goes on in the NFL on and off the field, right? We we cheer those guys on when they're violent and brutal, and the harder they hit that guy, the more they get cheered. Yeah. And I think that lends itself to to off the field, right? The that yep. mentality can't you can't turn that off. I I would imagine it would be really hard to do that, you know. Uh it's it's and celebrity and power and you know all the schmooing around that football players do. I I would imagine it would be a hard thing. Oh yeah. Uh, do you think a lack of empathy is a part of anger management? Completely. Uh, that used to be the, the number one rule I had in my class. The, the first thing guys were taught was empathy before education. And to me, that means you cannot be, you can't let go of your anger until you can be empathetic towards the other person's emotions and feelings and needs and what's going on inside of them. Once you can find that empathy and compassion for them, then you can acknowledge and express to them what's going on for you, the education part of that, right? Now, it's not always an easy thing to do. I, I think, in fact, that's probably one of the most challenging things for most people to do is because we kind of want to do it in reverse, right? We want to express what's going on with me, get you to understand me, then I'll listen to you. And it doesn't work that way, sadly. <laughs> that's right. It really doesn't. So what other things would you like to share with my audience that would be helpful for them to understand anger and improving anger management for relationships? Uh, like I said before, I think the number one thing is to acknowledge it's there. The harder we try to fight it, the harder we try to deny it, the, the harder it's going to come out at probably the most inopportune time. And it's always with the ones closest to us and the ones we love the most that that anger seems to, to seep out the hardest. So I, I think the first thing we have to do is acknowledge it at its infancy, right? That first twinge of, of annoyance or whatever, right? That first sign that that anger is coming, we need to sit back and, and examine it and go, okay, what's going on? What is within me that's causing this? And how can I deal with this now before that seed of that anger grows into this giant redwood tree, right? Yeah. And, and I think the, the trip that people take is swallow and ignore, 
swallow and ignore irritations, annoyance, hunger, uh, you know, whatever. And then the, and then like six weeks later, kaboom, I totally, uh, this is legitimate and this is valid because look at all the things I swallowed and stayed silent about. Oh yeah. And it's, it's always over the dumbest thing too, that why did you leave this dish in the sink? What's wrong with you? This dirty dish needs to be washed. And it, you, it's just this overreaction to this simple thing that in our minds, the minds of that angry person, it's not an overreaction. This is totally justifiable because everything that led up to this is still in there. It's still festered and it's still growing. But to the other person being attacked, it's, it's, it's just a dish. Why are we freaking out? Why are we throwing things? Why are we breaking things? It's, it's not that serious. Yeah, that's right. Anything else you want to add? Just know that whoever is out there listening to this, if you are angry or if you live it, living with an angry person, you can do it. You can make that change. It is within you. That power is there. Trust me. I did it. I'm still working on it. Don't get me wrong, but I've done it. So I know for a fact, anybody out there who's listening can do it as well. I, I guarantee if you just stick with it, it'll get there. And I think that one of the things that is so important about your podcast and your um, is that you are vulnerable and authentic. And when I think about anger, it's all that top dog, powerful energy. And I'm always drawing a picture for clients with anger at the top and a line. And then the key is to be more vulnerable. And it's clear to me because of you sharing your personal story, because of the way that you talk about it and own it and describe the journey of it, that you really have made that shift and found that more vulnerable part of you that is that leads to a more authentic and leads to be more trustworthy. That's more about the truth and the integrity of who you really are. I, I know my wife would not agree with that at some <laughs> points. Cause yeah. I, I remember when I first started teaching the classes, I, I used to teach the classes in that way where I would express, this is what's going on with me guys. This is what happened this week. This is, this is a situation. And it, most of the time it was centered around my wife and something that happened with us. And for years, she would come home, I'd come home from teaching and her answer, her question would be, so what story did you tell him today? Do I need to be embarrassed? What did you tell him about me? <laughs> and it finally, I was able to convince her, no, sweetie, it's, it's not about making you look like a bad person. Most of the time it's, you look like the, the hero in the situation. And I look like the asshole because that's really the way it is. And guys would immediately get this rapport with me because I was open and honest about this is what's going on in my life, guys. I'm not reading this stuff out of a book and, and yeah. regurgitating it to you. I'm literally teaching you. This is what I did when I got angry and threw my phone against the wall and shattered it. Here's how I was able to stop that and, and to find a better way, a healthier way of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really hope that you'll listen to his podcast again, that anger management crap. I'm so delighted you joined me today, Matthew. Thank you so much. It, it really means a lot to me. And you recorded with me twice, and I'm hoping we don't need to do it a third time. But I appreciate your generosity. For my audience, I hope you will uh, leave a review on iTunes. That would be fabulous. I have a free dating webinar on my website now if you're interested. And we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for listening to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't. If you have enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and help get the word out. To learn more or connect with Rhoda, visit therapyideas.net.